Well, do you feel like you're thriving already? <laughs> well, it's great to have you here this morning. Let me just say that uh, it, it's really encouraged me. I was just thinking about this morning earlier. It's so encouraging for me to see you every week. It's encouraging with the worship and also uh, just the opportunity to preach God's word to you as I believe so strongly in the gospel and the word of God. But it's just good to see you here, and I love you, and I appreciate you, you're here. Also, for those watching uh, by way of uh, television or video at home as well. And we're in a series of messages on Thrive, and we said, hey, we're putting 2020 behind us and moving on to 2021. Well, uh, I was reading something this past week where somebody wrote and, and wrote in and said, look, I, I've uh, tried out my, I tried this thing out for seven days here in 2021, and I want to cancel my subscription, you know, because so many tough things are going on. And as you recall, some of you were with us last fall, we did a seven-week series on questions that we need to answer going into 2021. We had little videos that we're kind of doing, and I know this is, uh, they were more comical than anything else. But one of them was everybody running toward, in a movie, running toward uh, something, and it said 2021. So let's watch this in a little different way right now, shall we? Sometimes you have to last, laugh to keep from crying. And I told you last week, I shared with you last week as we entered this series of messages, uh, there's no way I can dictate to you, and I'm not going to promise you anything, that I can dictate your circumstances of life. That's just, that would be impossible to do. Only God can do that. And as we're looking at things, we, we, we said, look, in order to thrive instead of survive in 2021, we've got to take really our eyes off the circumstances and on to Jesus and our relationship with him. Now, I know you've heard that all your life, and you think that's just kind of a hocus-pocus, maybe a mental thing, mental gymnastics that you're going through. But no, we're really trying to look at five different attitudes or actions that we can take in the year 2021 to really make a difference, to put place our eyes on Jesus Christ. Now, we talked last week about the main thing, and that is, where is your passion? You know, we talked about how some people's passion is bicycling or running or golf or what, whatever as a sport, or their, their passion, maybe their family or their career. And we were saying the, the big challenge is to make Jesus Christ your one true love, your one true passion in life, as Paul said, to seek him and the glorious power of his resurrection. And you're asking yourself the question, well, how do you do that? And how do you take the, even the second step on loving intentionally? Well, God helps us with that, as we're going to understand this passage. Now, here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible, uh, somebody came to Jesus and asked, said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. The second is like the same, to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you know, the last thing you need when you're going through a trial in life and when you have all these adverse circumstances around you is just simply another command. But God gives us the power to accomplish his commandments in life. And as we look at this, we, we realize God has to help us, has to help us to love. 
Now, I could have picked out many different passages in the Bible. God led me to this one, and I believe it's because it's so complete in itself. As we open up this passage in John chapter 15, we realize that Jesus had just, in John chapter 13, had washed the disciples' feet. They were leaving the upper room, and they were making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would pray that God would take the cup of wrath from him. So we're getting very, very near the cross. And as we're getting near the cross, we find that Jesus begins to teach his disciples. Now, you can imagine what's going on. They're on their way to Gethsemane, and the valley of the Kidron Valley is right there before you get to Gethsemane. And in the Kidron Valley is where they were making all the sacrifices for Passover. So the stench in their nostrils of blood and death was all around them. And now he's reminded of his death, and he's walking, and he begins to talk. And he talks. He begins to talk about things like, let not your heart be troubled. Because he already told him he was going to leave. He said, don't, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. He goes on to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And then John chapter 15, he brings about an illustration. And this illustration has to do a little horticulture. He says, Jesus says, I'm like the vine and you are like the branches. And unless you're attached to the vine, you cannot bear any fruit and you will not glorify your, your father who is in heaven. Now, if I can just take the illustration just a little bit further, based on chapter 14 and 16, we can imagine the sap, the life-giving force, being a symbol of the Holy Spirit coming up through the vine, through the branches, and bearing that fruit. Now, the fruit of a Christian could be another Christian. You've shared Christ with someone. They've come to know Christ as their Savior and Lord. It can also mean the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, weakness, kindness, self-control, as shared with us in Galatians chapter 5. And so looking at this, we want to understand as we get beginning in verse 9, it says, as a father has loved me, he says, as a father has loved me, so I have I loved you. Abide in my love. Well, that's great, but how do you really do that? What is the source of strength and power do we have to love everybody else? That person that uh, cuts us off in traffic. That person who's a neighbor and it's, uh, their, their dog keeps getting in our yard. We can't keep them out. They don't speak to us. Or, or maybe it's someone at work who's trying to undermine everything that you're doing, trying to get ahead in life. What about all these people, the people that we disagree with politically, the people we disagree with religiously? What about all these people and how can we really love them and God gives us the answer by saying, hey, I'm helping you love. Now, love is really multidimensional. It's first of all, downward to you, then upward back to God, at the same time, outward to other people. And so let's look at this. And first of all, I want us to see and spend most of our time this morning of the fact that we receive God's love, the receiving of God's love, is we have to get it before we can do anything with it. It says again in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Now, we're talking about the love of God, and this is the Greek word that we often talk about in church, agape, an unconditional type of love, or really just a God type of love. Now, God says, look, I have loved you. Now, what does that mean? You know, if we misunderstand the love of God, we really can't understand what God's doing in our life. 
And there really is two different types of love in the Bible that God has for us. And we, we need to understand this. One is a very general sense. A general sense is the fact that for God so loved the world, God loves the whole world. God loves every single person in the world, whether you follow Christ or not. It says this is one type of love. It says in Psalm 145, verse 14, the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give to them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desires of every living thing. It's talking about everything. God so loved the world, a very general sense. He gives everybody in the world grace by giving them a place on earth to live. In other words, we have an earth, a place to live, gives them life, some provision, depending on, depending on what is happening in that person's life. And so there is love and grace given to these people. Now, if you only understand that, then uh, to, from that point, it becomes very complex and very confusing. In fact, the love of God is complex. He goes on to say this about a specific type of love. In Psalm 45, again, we just read on in this passage. In verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him and who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears the cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but are the, the wicked, he says, will be destroyed. Now, there's a shift here in thought. Yes, I love everyone, but specifically, I love someone and pour out my love toward a certain group of people, and those who fear me, those who follow me, those in the New Testament language are believers, are Christians, are followers of Jesus Christ. Now, how does this happen? It's very important, by the way, that you understand, you and I understand the complexity of God's love. There's no way that we can completely understand it. He says right here that not everyone that he loves is gonna be saved. You say, well, he doesn't save everybody. He must not love everybody. Well, we, we have to make a decision to follow Christ. But nevertheless, there is that opportunity there. There is that possibility and chance that God gives, and that chance is taken by so many people not to be saved and follow through, or God follows through with his judgment and, and destruction. Now, it, it says in the Bible, even in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not, say it with me, perish, but have everlasting life. And so somewhere in the, the general love of God, there is built a judgment and wrath as well. He said, well, I don't understand that. Well, you know, join the club. But all I know is the Bible says to us, God's punishment or wrath does not, is not poured out because he doesn't love, but rather it's poured out because he does love. He does love us as he sent his only son to die. In fact, let me just com confuse it even more. Ezekiel chapter 33, the Bible says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so not even, he doesn't even rejoice at all in anything bad that happens to those who are generally loved. But how does God's love change a person? It's specific love. Is that point of salvation where you receive Christ into your heart. And when you do that, the Bible says the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell inside your heart. In chapter 14, before we even get to this about abiding in Christ, we, get, we look at the work of the Holy Spirit. We look in verse 16 of chapter uh, 14. And I, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper 
to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You will know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The moment you and I receive Christ, the Bible says the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. Now, with that comes the fruit of the Spirit, and specifically, the love of God. Romans 5, 5, when he's talking about the end of the whole passage about how we're saved and how we come to know Christ and how we're sinners and separated from God and neither know the Lord, he says, the Holy Spirit, which is given to you, sheds his love abroad in your heart. And so, the Bible teaches us the Spirit of God comes to live inside of us, and we then have the capacity and the power to love in return, to love God and to love others as well. Now, how do you know you've got this? How do you know you have the love of God? How do you express to God, look, God, I love you? Well, how do you do that? Well, first of all, chapter 14, verse 15, he starts off this, this section of Scripture where he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Then he comes back to that in verse 10 of chapter 15. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Now, there's a reason for all this. Somebody says, well, obedience. Man, I don't know about that. You know, Patrick Thompson, who is our, one of our mission pastors up in New York, uh, came and preached to us and uh, spoke the word to us last November. And he talked about how we, we cower away a little bit. We, we throw up walls when we think about obedience as though it's something that we think about control and judgment and punishment if we don't uh, lend ourselves to that control. But that's not what it is at all. In fact, obedience places us in the path of blessing in our life. And every day we have to ask ourselves the question, do I want, would I rather have, on the one hand, my own way, or would I rather have the blessing of God in my life? Would I rather have success on my own or the blessing poured out on my life and God's hand upon my life? Joy, he says, is the result of this. What happens, he says, just like I obeyed my Father and I glorified my Father in heaven, as it's already said in this passage, I've glorified my Father in heaven and it brought joy to my heart and joy to my Father's heart as well. He said, at the same time, you obey God, you obey him, and what happens is that the joy, you, you're not only placed in the path of blessing, but you bring glory to the Father, and therefore the joy, the fullness of joy, enters your heart, and you put joy in God's heart as well. Now, what do we talk about when we talk about joy? Well, we've said before it's not about happening, things happening. You know, something happens good, you're, jo you're joyful. Something happens bad, you're sad. That's not biblical joy. That's more like human happiness. Biblical joy is really the presence of God in our life. I, I love what Dr. Armand Nikolai said at Harvard University uh, a while back. He says, joy is a deep-seated desire to have a relationship with the person who made us. Why is God saying, look, you obey me and it's going to be better for you? Well, it's going to put me on the path of blessing. It's going to be placing you and I on a place where God can really afford to bless us. What do you mean afford? Well, I don't mean money when I say that. What I mean is 
for example, when your children do not obey you and they keep running out into the street, you don't reward them for that. You don't reward them for doing something that's harmful to them. You can't afford to do that. You bless them and you reward them based on the fact that they're where they're supposed to be at the time they're supposed to be there. Then when obedience to God brings us to that path of blessing. Then it brings a joy in our life. And this deep-seated joy really involves in doing what God wants us to do. We read in this passage um, in verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the fathers love me, I've loved you. He goes on to say in verse 12, this is the commandment that you have. Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. He says, look, I've accomplished, I'm about to accomplish the Father's will for my life. I'm going to the cross. That's what's going to happen here. We're going to end up, he doesn't tell him this, but he knows he's going to end up in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to pray one last time to the Father. He's going to agonize before about his death. Then he's going to be arrested. Then he's going to go to the cross. It's all going to happen in the next few days. He says, even though that's happening, I want you to know that I have joy in my heart because, and I've brought joy to my Father's heart because I'm accomplishing what he wants me to do. That's obedience, it says here in the Bible, brings joy to our life. Again, it's not happiness. In fact, maybe it's something that we don't even realize we have until we've lost it. You know, for example, you know, uh, you buy your child or your grandchild a pair of shoes for Christmas, and they're, they're really good. You know, tennis shoes, got all kinds of colors in it, maybe got the lights on the back, I don't know. Anyway, you're, you're looking, and I've seen this happen to my own kids when they were small, other children as well, as well as my grandchildren. They'll put them on, and they'll start walking like this. You know, they, they want to see their shoes. They like their shoes. But after a while, they're not doing this anymore. What are they doing? They're just walking. They like the shoes, they're comfortable, they feel good, they look good, they don't think about the shoes. But if they take off the shoes, walk outside in the cold, and walk across rocks, and, and it's raining, and there's pavement, and there's thorns in the bushes, they're going to realize the shoes are not there. Well, that's the way joy is a lot of times in our life. We have it, and we don't realize, we don't think about the joy of the Lord, but we miss it. We miss it when it's gone. Well, not only does, as I've said, bringing joy to your heart but also bringing joy to God's heart as well. Listen to what Isaiah 63 says. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. Did you know that God suffers when you suffer? Now, symbolically, of course, in the Old Testament, it was a symbolic verse. He says, you know, when the nation of Israel is under affliction, I feel the affliction. I feel that symbolically, figuratively. But in the New Testament, Jesus Christ came. He felt the pain of loneliness he felt the pain of rejection, of grief, of sorrow, and then he went to the cross feeling physical pain as well. He literally felt the pain of our sin on him. And so the joy of the Lord comes to his heart. It, you know, agape love is sort of, it's not, let me tell you what it's not like. Uh, two, two people meet together, meet, and they fall in love with one another. Now, why do they fall in love with one another? Well, May I get unromantic for just a moment? How about you on TV? Nobody will answer me here. Oh, okay, thank you. Appreciate that. Thanks. Um, 
We fall in love with someone because they meet our needs. That's it. That's exactly what happens. In fact, we fall in love with Jesus at first because he's meeting our needs. When you came to know Christ, you were forgiven of your sin, therefore you came to Christ. You had a distress in your life, therefore you came to know Christ. And so it's sort of like in the beginning when you meet someone and you like the way they look, you like the way they talk, smell, what they do, their little actions in life. They're meeting a need of your life. Now, when you grow, what should happen in marriage is the same thing that happens in the Christian, should happen in the Christian life. As you grow together, it's no longer what I need, but what you need. In fact, if you have a good marriage, if your wife or husband are unhappy, then that makes you unhappy. Now, a better illustration of agape love is the usual, at least the usual, love a parent has for their child. In fact, it's been said this way. It's been said that we do not, once your first child is born, you're as happy as your unhappiest child. Now think about that for just a moment. Your happiness really depends largely on them. Even as they grow up, you call them, FaceTime them, whatever, Zoom them. And you find out that they're going through all kinds of trial. What happens to you? you? You're going through all that same kind of trial with them. That is sort of an unconditional love. No matter what's going on in their life, no matter how they feel about life, no matter how much they disagree with you, maybe on things in life, you're nevertheless, you're nevertheless, you've come to a point in your life where you still love them no matter what. That's what God has done for us. He's come and he demonstrated that love as Jesus Christ died on the cross. But it's not, it's not just an example for us to follow. It's a power for us to claim. Because the Spirit of God comes in to live inside our heart. And we have the power to love other people as well as God. So we receive the love of God. We, we get the power that we need in order to accomplish God's will and his command to love him. That love that we receive leads to obedience. And obedience leads to joy in our life as we accomplish God's will for our life. And so what do we do? We return God's love. And, and not wanting to repeat myself here, but let me just look at a couple of these verses. He says, these things I've spoken to you that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for um, others, his friends. He says, you are our friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Now, God says you're a friend. And now he's really kind of referring to the fact that we need to love other people. What do we say? God loves us first. We love him back. We love other people. Downward, upward, outward. And so what do we do as we return God's love to him we concentrate on this whole word, abiding. Over and over again in this, in this passage, it's used. In fact, look back up in verse 4. Abide in me and my, I in you. You cannot bear fruit unless you abide in the vine. Verse 5, I am the, you are the branches, I am the vine. Abide in me. He says in verse 7, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. You can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So this word abiding means that we are in Christ. Christ is in us. And we're remaining in such a way that the Holy Spirit of God can flow through our life. And therefore, we bear much fruit. The Bible teaches us that he has commanded us 
to love one another, and then he gives us the means to do that. See, obedience is not a bad word. Obedience just brings us to the point of being in that path of blessing, but we're threatened by it all the time. We can set up tables up here, maybe in the church, and say, you know, you need to be serving God and sign up to, to serve somewhere. Immediately, walls go up. I don't know if I want to commit my time to that. Or giving. Many of you are going through uh, small group lessons about giving this month and about generosity. And immediately, oh, you know, I'm not going to give any money. You know, it's, it's, it needs to be all free. I'm not going to do that. And immediately, you're setting up barriers. But every single time, we're met with a test. We're met with something that God's telling us to do. Or we're met with opposition from uh, the crowd outside the church. Or we're led with some, something adverse comes into our life. A trial happens every time we step up on the scale. Am I going to return my love for God? Am I going to keep loving God? Am I going to keep obeying God even in the times where it's inconvenient? Even in the times where it seems like it's impossible for me to do that. Well, when you and I realize the power of the Holy Spirit within us, we're walking with Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. His love is shed abroad in our heart, upward and outward. Then when that, that relationship is clear, we can pass the test. But not only do we need to return it to God, but then we need to love others as well. Loving intentionally as we're looking at this this week. And very quickly, you look and you think to yourself, oh, what do I need to do? Well, he says right here in verse 13, greater love has no man than this that he lays down his life for his friends. You say, well, I, I don't have an opportunity to do that. I don't know if I can do that, but I certainly don't feel like I've got the opportunity. And the opportunity to actually give our life seldom comes. I remember when I was a student at Cold Falls, I went to school with a, um, a young man by the name of Bobby. He got married to a lady there, young lady there at the school, and both of them were training and in school to be a missionary. They graduated. They went through missionary schools after that, sort of, uh, you know, get acquainted time and final training. Then they went overseas. And within the first couple of years of this, Bobby was leading a group of young people up around a mountain and up a mountain to another village to do some ministry there. One young man, teenager, fell off the cliff. Bobby, seeing this, lunged for him, happened to grab something, a rock or something, and grabbed for the young man's arm and saved him. So he, everything worked out good, right? Well, maybe not exactly. He grabbed his arm, and he couldn't pull him up. He was just too, it, it, was just, it was just too much. He couldn't get the leverage. And so, as witnesses said, he just jerked him up, and all one big motion just pulled him up. And at the, at that, when that happened, his momentum, as he went this way, pulled him this way. And he's the one that fell off the cliff. The young man was saved. He died. He gave his life for someone else. But you and I very seldom have the opportunity to do that. So what is it talking about here? It's talking about what Philippians, Paul talks later about in Philippians chapter 2. When we prefer one another over ourselves. When we give our lives in a sense that we give our time to someone else. Yeah, give our money to someone else. Give our feelings, our feelings, and we put them aside for just a moment and put our rights aside for just a moment in order to fulfill something greater in our ministry. 
See, God, here's the sequence, God loves you and you receive the love of Christ. We express our love and obedience. Our obedience glorifies God and God therefore bears fruit in our life. And his, his glory, his glory as we glorify him gives us joy. And so that joy unspeakable as we're just walking in those realized shoes, they just automatically begin, we begin to love other people. And the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. How do you do that? You do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. What are some of the things that, may, that might look like? Well, they might look like you sacrifice your time in order to share Christ with someone else. It may look like uh, you, you are not a person that's going to be disagreeing. In fact, you're going to be listening to people. I know that when I share Christ with people, unless it's just a real quick uh, type of thing, they ask a question, and you know, they're maybe a, a, um, waiting on me at the table. Unless it's something like that, if I can carry on a conversation with someone, I want to know, I want to know where they are right now in life, how they got there. I want to listen to them because if I don't, I, I don't know what their needs are going to be. And sometimes I run across people that have been so disagreeable they've insulted God. They've said harsh things about God and the church as I'm talking to them, but I listen to them. And so this means that we have a heart to say, look, I'm giving up my own rights in order to be winsome to someone else, in order to love someone else. We have things going on in our country today, things going on all around us, and the, and the hatred that's going on here, dear friends, in our nation today is anything but godly. And the church must lead the way in coming out of that. And people are saying, no, you know, silence is some sort of sin. Therefore, you, what, whatever it is, you've got to give your opinion. And you need to really do it either in person or social media. And over and over again, we, we're seeing people uh, defriend people and, and, and turn their backs on. This, isn't, this is really a rejection. Why? Well, you used to be friends. In fact, I can remember a time when I was coming through college. Um, I've got a friend right now on, on uh, Facebook that disagrees with some of the things and some things not that I, that, I, uh, that I believe. But I remember back in college, I didn't even know who he voted for president. I had no idea. We never talked about it. But today is a new day. And so how are you responding to people? Is it in a Christ-like manner that you're listening? You know, sometimes we don't listen at all. Other times we listen to respond, not to understand. And so what are they saying? You know, the Bible says you don't have to state your opinion on everything. You really don't. Now, I know I've got some young people here. You know, you've heard this and heard this and heard this, and you believe it. Why do you, where, where, what chapter in the Bible and verse does it say that? You see, if Jesus Christ is your Lord, you have convictions in life. You have preferences, everybody has that, but everybody has really deep convictions. Things that you're willing, I don't know, lose your job for, die for, you know, you know, lose a friendship over. They're just convictions. Everybody has them. But the question is, where do you get them? If Jesus Christ is your Lord, if the love of God is coming through you, you get them from the Bible. And the Bible says, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to be angry. For the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. In James chapter 1, verse 19, it says that. And then in chapter 3, it says the tongue is set on fire by hell. And by, by the way, folks, if you go to somebody and discuss this stuff, I don't care how, maybe, maybe you're like this. You, you can always kind of work out something because you're face-to-face. -face. I learned growing up 
in school, and I was trained by, at this, is that the best way to handle something with someone, a disagreement, is face-to-face. -face. Second best way is by phone. Now, this is before FaceTime, Facebook, you know what I'm saying? I'm dating myself. No zooming. The second best way is phone call, but boy, it's just not even close to being as good. You, you can't hear the, you hear the inflections of the voice, but you don't see what they're doing, see what's going on. You don't see the expressions on their face. But the worst way is to write a letter. You write a letter, it's a permanent record. And they're reading between the lines and it's so, so easy for them to discard it and discard you. And now we're going on social media and, and, and just putting things in print. And, and, it, and it's disruptive. And we can look and say, well, pastor, you know, some policies in the, in the nation or whatever are just gonna ruin our nation. Well, I can tell you something, that may happen, but something that is certain to happen. When you hate others, especially as a Christian, it's gonna bring down your life and, bring, and eventually bring down any nation. But I'm saying this for your life, your life. You may come today and say, well, you know, you hate this politician or this politician, unless you know them in an intimate way, they don't even know you. They don't, they don't care that you hate them. You say, well, I don't hate them. Being honest, folks, some of the things I'm hearing, not only in the media, especially in the media, but also uh, on, in person, social media, there's a lot of hate going on. And we just need to come to grips and admit that. And what, what do we need to do? I'm not saying we need to agree with them. I'm not saying you, you don't hold somebody account, accountable for what they're saying. But at the same time, when, when you express hatred, it's like the Roman soldiers who got mad at the gods and they took their arrows and went straight up in the air trying to reach the gods and kill them. And the arrows came down and killed them. You hurt no one but yourself. These people that you're, you're not liking or hating, they, they don't care, but it does something to your heart. And that's what bothers me when it's hurting you. And the only way to combat that, because there's so many opinions in the world, is to look to the word of God to get your opinions, but also even just, just as important as that, is saying, God, I'm having trouble loving my neighbor. And God, the Spirit of God lives within me, so something, something's wrong. Something's cutting it off. And the Bible says that we can quench the Holy Spirit or we can even grieve the Holy Spirit. We grieve him because of sin in our life. We quench him because we refuse his leadership in our life. I've done that. You've done that. That's the reason we're not filled with the Holy Spirit all the time. So what's happening in your life now? What's happening that you just, you just can't get past that? that you can't love those who are unlovely, those who disagree with you, even religiously, spiritually, politically, what's going on in your neighborhood, how irritating some people are. You can't, you and I cannot get by that on our own. God says love intentionally in the way you do that. He says, let me help you. Let me help you do just that. And so God is saying, look, I want you to live a victorious Christian life. How do you do that? Well, you receive Christ, but you walk. If I can say this, first of all, to Christians, you, you walk as Jesus walked. How do you do that? The Spirit lives within you. You obey the Word, but then you, you, you pray and ask God to lead you and to help you. And if the love of Christ is in you uninterrupted, you're going to be able to love God and return His passion. Your passion of life is going to be God. Without the love of God loving you first, because as 
Brother Tim said just a few moments ago, we love him because he first loved us. That's right out of the Bible, 1 John chapter 4. Right out of the Bible. We love him because he first loved us. We have to receive the love of God. And then after that, apply it. Apply it. He becomes, secondly, our passion in our life. And because of that, we feel toward others the way he feels. And that even loving those who are lost without Christ. And dear friends, never mind all the, the, the disagreements. If they have unbiblical views, that it may mean that they have no relationship with God. And if they have no relationship with God, our hearts ought to break. Our, our hearts ought to be moved to tears because we have a friend. We have someone we know that desperately needs Jesus. And they're only going to listen if they know that you love them. And so I challenge you today to love intentionally. You want to thrive in 2021. You will receive the love of Christ and then apply that love in your life. How do you do that? What's the first step? The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's how you, you and I receive, that's how I receive Christ. The, that's what the Bible teaches all through the Gospels, all through the book of Acts, all through the epistles, even in the book of Revelation. All he says, come. And the spirit of the bride says, come. Final invitation, come. So what about you today? Well, you've got an opportunity. If no one else thrives in 2021, you can. You can. And you can be known as someone who loves with a supernatural love so much that people take, after a while, they take notice that something's different about your life. And what a great witness for Christ that can be. Let's bow our heads. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Right now, as a Christian, first of all, let me challenge the Christian. Would you just say, God, right now, I just want to turn away from any hatred in my own heart. And I know it's hard to admit. You know, nobody said, everybody said, oh, I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. I don't hate anybody. I've heard people on TV just spout out some most hateful things I've ever heard in my life. And then they say, oh, I don't hate him. I don't hate anybody. They do. So would you just take that and say, emotionally, God, I'm so tied up in this. I'm allowing my emotions to rule me. And God, I don't want that. I want the love of God to rule me. And so God, would you help me to get any sin out of my life, omission, commission, any kind of sin out of my life so I can really sense the love of God, so I can obey you and therefore feel that joy that you want me to feel and bring joy to your heart. I challenge you as a believer to do that today. And then if you're not a believer, you say, well, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I know Jesus died for me, but how do I apply that to my life? The Bible says, call on the name of the Lord. So let's do that right now. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Would you right now say to the Lord, Lord, I'm about to pray a prayer that's going to invite you into my life. And I sincerely want you to come in. Love me. Love me like I want and need to be loved. Pray with me now. Lord God, thank you for loving me. 
First of all, thank you for loving me in a general sense that you sent your son to die for me. But God, I want to be loved in a specific, specific sense of salvation. I want you in my heart. And I invite you to come in right now. Forgive me of everything that I've done, everything that I've thought, everything that I've failed to do. Thank you for forgiving me. And then now, Lord, I pray that I would sense your love and victory in my own life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.